in a bed. <laughs> another episode of a book and a bed i'm bryony you've got georgia you've got ellie unfortunately claire is still studying and i support her choices even though i miss her <laughs> miss her terribly but this week thy gentle friends we are getting into the dark and bloody tale of Nevernight by jay christoph it is one of my favorite books of all time and i mean i could go into heavy detail and i will I will be going into heavy detail. Here we go. Here we go. Strap in. What are we drinking this week, ladies? Red wine for the blood. It tracks. It tracks. on it. I'm drinking Canadian Club and some Pepsi. I've got Jack and Coke. Um, good it's a good drink and just for those that are watching our video i feel like i'm gonna somehow fuck it up but i'm recording without headphones this week so that i don't karate chop myself into <laughs> a concussion which i do nearly every goddamn episode that she does but get so physical and i definitely knew i was gonna be like getting out there with this one so <laughs> oh yes i'm anticipating lots of hand movements Okay. I'm really excited. General vibes for the book. As I said, this bad boy is one of my favourites of all time. It was my recommendation in the fist, fish bowl, fist bowl, fist bowl. Oh gosh. I mean, this book is literally like, it says on the cover, it's award winning. It's fine Australian. It's got death. It's got dick. And when I tagged Jay in this, he said that should be his brand. Yes, Jay. Yes, it should. Make the merch. Um, <laughs> it's got a main character that has a demon cat. Literally, what more could you want? But... This whole book was on another fucking realm for me. I love it. It's just so rich. And even though it's like a really complex world and definitely like when I first read it, I had to reread after a couple of chapters just to really like absorb, especially that first chapter. It's just fantastic. I mean, it's just dark, it's gritty, it's bloody, and it's just, mm -hmm. oh, I love it. And I mean, the footnotes. The footnotes. The footnotes. I loved them. I've never read a book with this type of framework in place. So just... Well Applause for you, Jay. Well, I also really enjoyed this book for the most part. So once I was into it, I was into it and I could not put it down. It very much gave me like Hogwarts meets Bait vibes. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it sort of gave me those vibes. So we're in a college and we're learning things. I love, I love a training was, setting. <laughs> yes, I love a training setting. Gave me Zodiac Academy vibes too. Well, so. there you go. And I've just started atlas six as well and it's i'm like fantastic <laughs> i love it it's really good i loved the twist with ash and mia's epic takedown at the end that was really 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 good although the headmaster of the church had 83 kills in all her time right and yet mia has essentially taken down what half an army after maybe a few months worth of training at 16. This is fine. She's got special powers. She's got other things happening for her. So we're just ignoring that. There were a few parts that I had to sort of get over in order to fully love it, which I did, obviously. But the first obviously being that his writing style is very flourishy. Um, it's written sort of old timey mm -hmm. and there's a lot of metaphors and there's a lot of information and a lot of footnotes. 
which I loved, but I also read this like in the throes of the spicy cough, which got me good. <laughs> and I was probably like half the time hallucinating <laughs> the majority of that. Like, like, oh my back God, back. there's a talking cat. <laughs> basically, basically. But I got over, I got there. Once we were in the red church, I think that's where it picked up for me. But like getting there, I was like, where the fuck am I and what is happening? But the other thing for me, it took a lot of my brain power to forget the fact that this was man writing about a 16-year-old girl. Oh. And there was a, a few like male gaze moments as well. And like, look, this author is miles ahead of any other male author I've ever read yeah. in terms of describing women and smart. But a part of me just couldn't forget that he was a man writing about a 16-year-old getting fingered. Yeah. Look, maybe that's my internal misogyny coming out here and it has nothing to do with the writing. I did love the writing. But yeah, it's something that I just kept coming back to when I was reading it, especially when she essentially gets a boob job. But look, all in all, I absolutely loved it. Also wanted her to fuck Cassius at the beginning. And now I realize he may be her brother, which is which is not a good thing. I literally, okay, so I don't know if it's just because I read Smart Busters, but I got over the fact that he was a 40-year-old man writing about a 16-year-old girl like that. Um, <laughs> as I said, I read books that are, the trigger warnings are like pages and pages and pages long. So I have a very high tolerance when it comes to fiction books of like realizing that they're fiction and they're not real and I can disassociate myself really quickly. Usually there are the occasional book where I can't, but like for the majority of the time, I'm like, I don't care. And this was one of those books. And I really, really, really loved this book. I'm not going to sit here and be like, I knew exactly what was going on all of the time because I didn't. Some of the time I was like, where the fuck are, are we? we? What are we doing? Who is this cat? Why is this cat? But yeah, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> like none of that changed the fact that I actually really, really loved this book. And like, I was laughing I was getting angry. I was shocked. I was horny. I was like, what's going on? I'm feeling all these mixed emotions. I don't really know what's happening. And, and then the footnotes. I have never read a book with footnotes. Never. Right? And like, they were making me fucking cackle. I was <laughs> literally like laughing my head off. And I was like, what are you laughing at? And I'm like. <laughs> and I mean, like, it's a huge fantasy world. There's a whole, there's like three sons there's like a whole new ecosystem a city is literally in a fucking bone rib cage it's a lot and I think the footnotes were actually a genius way because mm -hmm. you can technically read a lot of the book like I've read it a couple of times now sometimes I don't even look at the footnotes no also did some really good comic relief like so yeah. much good comic relief because there were some parts where I was like I don't understand what the fuck that word means and then there was a footnote right next to it and I was like ha Yes, and then it explains exactly what it is. I'm like, that makes so much sense now. And then I go back. So good. It was so good. I read an interview that he gave and he said that that was his intention. Like the fantasy world is all about world building and he loves doing that. But he realizes that if you include all of it, it's going to be really dense and it's going to be really tricky to get to the plot. So this was a way of still including it so you can opt in and read it if you want to, but also if you skip it, you're not going to miss like crucial parts of the, the plot. The main plot of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Look, again, I love this book. It's just fantastic. And I mean, it's a three book series. It's done. The last book was published a couple of years ago. Book one and two are my favourites of the series. Never Night, book one on its own, you can read that and go, oh, that's nice. And you can actually kind of leave there it's got a nice open ending you can come 
kind of get the gist of where it's going, even though you don't. You can just, it sits nicely. Kind of reminds me how like From Blood and Ash book one is immaculate. It's got that book one peak energy. Buckle in, y'all. Buckle in. Here we go. All right. Oh, wine. oh she's licking it. <laughs> Christ, every drop, guys. Every drop. Drop. Let's go. Streamlining. Streamline. Don't go on too many rants. <laughs> so we start off, and you know, with fantasy books, I love a map. We've got two. We so did, actually. First map is of Australia, which is our country situation. We got some seas. We got some, we got some bodies of water. got some continents. And then we have zoomed in on the city of God's Grave, which is our capital of Australia. I'm sorry. It sounds like you're saying Australia, but really Bogan. But gives you a good lay of the land. Very exciting. We've got that. I'm happy. I've got my maps. They're very nice. It's very exciting. Yes. Yes. We then jump right in and look here is where I will start with the heavy detail and I'm so sorry page one (laughs) (laughs) it's called caveat emptor and you know we love a good opening line this one was quite on quite in your face (laughs) people often shit themselves when they die believe it or not it is correct intense very much true as we've said my dad works with death and he has a top 10 worst crime scenes that he's come across in his oh, like no. 30 year career. There are a few poop stories that make that list because when people die, they shit themselves. They really, really, really do. They like sometimes it's like they pull their pants down and they're just they're just doing their business and then they just croak it. As they're dead? Mm. Mm-hmm. Like they pull wait, no. No, 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 literally not dead anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they just wake up. Hang on. Hang on. Oh, that's better. Curry I, grim reaper. I had a curry last night. I can't that boy now. Gotta clear the bowels. I said that and I was like, this does not compute. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. They die mid shit. But they've pulled their pants down most of the time. Wait. <laughs> Wait a second. Wait. Wait. So I thought I was going into heavy detail. It's like someone is like, I'm having a heart attack. You know what I need to do? A shit. Oh yes. Is that literally That's what? literally, that is literally I what happened. should be laughing at this. And you know women. Women opposed to men. Like if it was a man, he'd be like, oh. <gasps> No, definitely. In. Women are like, oh, okay, so I'm going to have to go to the hospital. Look, I don't want to have to wait for the toilet. I should go now. Yes, exactly right. That's what she's doing. She's like, all right, I'm going to go back inside. Something doesn't feel quite right. Hang on. Hang on. No, the poo's coming Maybe now. Poo. <laughs> the poo's coming right now on the back steps. Let me just, let me just, I don't want to soil my undies. Dead. I do not know this. I yeah. mean, people shit themselves when they die, but I just thought it was like they were they were dead and they their body was just flowing. No. Thing. no, but it's like no. they're on death's door. Death is like knock, 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 and they're like, one second, please. <laughs> Hold, on. Hold on. that thought. Yeah. <laughs> so now that's just unlocked a new fear for us all. Now we have the embarrassment and shame of whoever it is that's seeing our dead body and our poop. I, Ian would be like, lol, George's <laughs> <laughs> poop. <laughs> oh, shoot, she's dead. <laughs> oh, shit, she's dead. Wait, yeah, look, Lucky saw it all when I birthed our children. Yeah, <laughs> My bad. Instead of two holes, there was one. <laughs> why not Why not one? Why not one for this moment? We'll stitch it up in a minute. Why have two when you can just have one? <laughs> I know. When something that big's coming out of it, something's got to give. No, yep. 
You yeah. Oh, my God. All right. We've taken a really, really far. We digress. On page one. Line one. Oh. the first sentence. Oh, Heavy anyway. detail. Here we are. We digress. <laughs> we digress. And we follow that up with, and if the unpleasant realities of bloodshed turn your insides to water, be advised now that the pages in your hands speak of a girl who was to murder as maestros are to music. Who did to happy ever afters what a saw blade does to skin? And you're like, interesting. This is an interesting way to warn us, but yes. okay. A girl, some called pale daughter, or kingmaker, or crow, but most often nothing at all. A killer of killers whose tally of endings only the goddess and I truly know. See, I loved this, and I was like, so mm. when I finished this chapter, I was like, right, this is what what this book is going to be about. This is where we're going. Cool. Right, let's go. The book is split into three parts, essentially. Book one is called When All Is Blood. This chapter one for me is phenomenal. It is probably one of the best chapter ones I have ever written. Granted, I had to reread it once I figured out what was going on. Mm-hmm. So basically, you have this intentional mirroring. We have, we're meeting our main character, who we actually don't get her name for a couple of chapters, but it's Mia. Mm-hmm. And we have her losing her virginity. She's paid a male prostitute to take her virginity. At the same time, as she's making her first real kill, her first intentional murder. We've got these lines that are mirroring. And there's so many, but I'm only going to show a couple because, you know, time. So we've got, in the sex bit, you've got the boy was beautiful. And then when she's going to kill the guy, you've got the man was repugnant. Then you've got the boy being like, are you sure? And then Mia saying, yes, I'm sure. And then you've got with the murder, like that same bit, but it's Mr. Kindly asking if she's sure instead. You've got fuck me, she breathed as she's having sex. And then as she's killing the person, fuck me, he breathed. And I just loved it. Loved that juxtaposition. So good. It was amazing. And I also loved the description of her losing her virginity because it actually was pretty accurate. So this is the quote. She dreamed of this, hoped it would be some kind of special, but now she was here. She thought it a stumbling, clumsy kind of affair. No magical fireworks or bliss by the handful, just the press of him on her chest, the ache of him thrusting away, her eyes closed as she gasped and winced and waited for him to be done. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sounds very familiar. Every girl here. Nodding. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. I remember having sex and going, fuck, what is all the big deal about? That was shit. Yes, I had watched a lot of Sex in the City up before then and I was thinking, this isn't the way Samantha carries on. (laughs) But then following this, we actually end up meeting her shadow cat. And we also meet old Mercurio, who is her teacher, and we're also introduced to her grey phone dagger. And then we basically down the track. Back and forth. Yes. There's this one quote that's in like future Mia's little part. And it just didn't make sense in my brain. And I wanted to see what you guys thought about it. Because I was trying to do it as I was reading it. And I was like, how does one? And it's, he put his head on his elbow. Is, is, that, like, is that Mr. Kindly or Mercurio? I don't actually know. Cats don't have elbows. Because, yeah, look, it's a lot. That seems like a whole lot. I feel like I'm going to give my self-concussions. Like, head on his arm like this, it's with the elbow head resting head on the tape. Head on his elbow, though. 
Silence is just us trying to do. Brian's trying to work out the context. George and I are like elbow, elbow. Everyone, everyone's watching this this chapter are like in-depth, detailed things, and mine is like, why is his head on his elbow? How? As we're meeting Mercurio, he says this quote: "You'll be a rumor, a whisper, the thought that wakes the bastards of this world sweating in the never night. The last thing you will ever be in this world, girl, is someone's hero, but you will be a girl hero's fear." And I was like, "Absolutely, kill them all, fucking yeah." We're killing. I'm into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, look, I'm not going to lie to you, right? This whole chapter, I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, my notes were all over the place. I know. I wanted to pretend I was really intelligent and being like, yes, I understand the complexities that he is driving home in this first chapter. I did not. You read it and then at one stage your brain goes, aha, and then you read it Later on I was like, there it is. And if we haven't emphasised it from that, like, initial part, this story is not told from Mia's point of view. It is an author writing a book. So yes. then that, that. We don't know yes. who the author is either, do we? Not at this stage, not. Do we find out? We do. Cool. We, you may need to clue me in on that when we get yeah, there. No, I'm like, I, was it, I thought it was Mr. Kindly the entire time, but it wasn't. That's a cool thought. Like, it's good because, again, like this first book, it leaves it very open-ended and you don't mm-hmm. really get clarity on that for a hot minute. So my yeah. theory is the chronic chronic. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Good. Great even. Continue. Okay. We're flashing back to her father's hagging, which sounds like a brilliant time to be alive. And her mum of the year, um, I think her name is Aline, but they have like Donna at the front of any female oh, name. Yeah, like they call it me Donna, me Donna. Anyway. Donna Couvert. You know, there are a few things that don't be, get told to you when you bring a child home from hospital. There's quite a lot that you have to make up by yourself. And a lot of the time you're doubting whether or not you're doing the right things. However, I think it would be abundantly clear that if your child needed to watch the imminent death of one of their parents, you would perhaps shield them from that trauma. No. It's like, absolutely not. <laughs> no. Watch. Watch and learn. Hold her head. Hmm. And then we get our family motto. Oh, never yes. Flinch. Never flinch, never fear, and never, ever forget. I was actually quite confused at some of the points. Sorry. Look. I was really confused as to some of the footnotes in this chapter, at the start of this chapter, because at first it was like, oh, she can't hear. And I was like, oh, shit, it's a deaf assassin. (laughs) (laughs) And then we come to understand that, like, when Mia hears music, it's the sound of death. So I was like, oh, not death, just trauma. (laughs) Not death. (laughs) I don't know. The first couple of the chapters start with a flashback and then go back into what it will be our current time our current time is Mia is on a boat and she's heading somewhere we understand that the person she killed she had to kill for like some sort of payment to get into some sort of school we're getting the details but she's on a boat and the author gives us description of Mia and I loved it because you know every now and then we get these YA books where it's you know she wasn't beautiful in a traditional way she was like and then all the fan art is her just like stunningly it's like long blonde hair blue eyes and it's like like, you know um all of that jay is just out here speaking to me personally with my giant schnoz being like (laughs) if her face was a puzzle most would put it back in the box unfinished that's really harsh 
Moreover, she was short, six in, barely enough ass for her britches to cling to. Okay, yes, relatable. Relatable. And then also, I'm going to butcher this name. I'm so sorry. So we're introduced to Duamary? Duamary? Do we... Dweary? The Dweebs. Dweary. Dweary. I basically read it as their Maori. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, they've got the yeah, face tattoo situation. And we get some world building by way of Mia is literally reading a book with her shadow demon cat. And we discover that we're in a world that's got multiple suns. Basically, we're discovering about the world through that, which I was like, thank you, Jay. We're going to learn as our main character is learning which means it's okay that we don't know. <laughs> While on the boat, Mia is accosted by some of the crew and a guy that she's calling Peacock. And we get this downright delicious moment where basically him and the crew are coming to stop Mia and movement drew Peacock's eye to the deck. And he realised with growing horror that the girl's shadow was much larger than it should be or indeed could have been. And worse, it was moving. I love every time she gets into something and her shadow is just like, and everyone's like, oh, fuck, what the <laughs> I also loved this quote as well when, like, she gets into it with Peacock and we, this quote was just everything. I think I'm now going to use this forever. It says, Peacock's mouth opened as she introduced her boot to his partner's groin, kicking him hard enough to cripple his unborn children. <laughs> Brilliant affection, chef's kiss. Loved it. And also, my God, I think we've all been in a situation where a guy has come up to you when you're out with girlfriends and he's like hitting on you and will not take no for an answer. So when you're inevitably a bitch to him because he's not taking no for an answer the first five times, he plays the whole like, I was only being nice. There's no need to get your titties twisted. The only thing's getting twisted here are your testicles around my fist. Should you feel the need to carry on this one-sided conversation, kindly get the fuck out of my way so I can go dance like a whore with my friends. <laughs> Amazing. So we discover from this attack on the boat that Mia is a darken. That's what she is. It's very exciting. Then we go into a flashback, and it is through this flashback that we discover that Mia's name is Mia. Oh, <laughs> oh yes of course <laughs> there we are because so far it's just been the girl and things like that but no her name is Mia and Donna Corvair is basically she's trying to get Mia out of the city after the father's been hanged does not work they are interrupted by one of our villains and she's basically trying to plead for Mia's life to be spared does not work unfortunately for Donna and in real time Mia is then getting off the boat and is having this moment where she's like sauntering through the dock situation can tell I've been on a boat near water. The dock, the place where the boats are kept. (laughs) Land. (laughs) And she's looking at the locals to see if any will, as she puts it, dance with her. The fact that she can nearly hear music, she can nearly hear death. It's very nice. I love it. And we have this scene where Mia is in a pub and the guy thinks she's there for a job. And by a job, I mean... Wink, wink, job. nudge, nudge. Spicy accountant. Mia comes out with it. Mia's smile dragged the proprietors behind the bar and quietly strangled it. It made very little sound as it died. <laughs> so good. So the footnote references throughout this book, they have just made my reading experience that much better. And here we have the author describing the pleasure house that was run by a madame who affectionately <laughs> referred to her vagine as the orphan maker. I just I just love it. Oh my god. Thank you for your service. <laughs> Thank you for your service. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh god. Um well, my joke only just clicked into me then as well. So that's <laughs> <laughs> 
that and we end up going to basically Mia has this grand moment where she says like these magic words and it's basically this book's equivalent of open sesame (laughs) Uh, but the barkeep does not have a single fucking idea what she's on about and there's this quote that is just so fucking perfect because sometimes I see my boyfriend do this when I'm talking about books and I'm like cool um so this is the quote a pause. Brow creased in thought. The gaze of Danio's slow cousin eye seemed to be wandering off as if distracted by pretty flowers or perhaps a rainbow. And then the footnote to that is no rainbows were present in the room at this time. <laughs> I was like, this is literally Aiden whenever I'm talking about books. He's just like off in the distance, just like, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, are you paying attention? I know. In a vagina. <laughs> olive oil I like that he tunes out at those moments mine tunes out like important shit that he needs to know he's just like oh but then listens in to our conversation about anal oh my god selective hearing fucking hell I, um, I did love this whole moment just the framework of like you can imagine me as like yes I've been training for years and I've been waiting for this moment here's the magic light and the guy's like what do you say oh dear And then we also get a metaphor here and it's about something called the wellspring spider, which is just all kinds of fucked up. And at first I was sort of like, oh yes, I can relate to this. A mother sacrificing her body to rear her children and sacrificing her time to raise them. Yes, 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 yes. So very relatable. No, was not expecting her to intentionally starve herself in order to barricade her offspring who then end up eating her bit by bit to death. No. I don't want children. Yeah. Look, that bit doesn't happen. That's good to know. I mean, mentally... motherhood can probably be described that but physically no and it took a turn I wasn't expecting so <laughs> so basically leave both this and Mia's trying to figure out what she's going to do but basically she's thinking she's going to venture out into the desert when someone else appears and uses the same magic words but we go into the next chapter and we get another flashback and it's basically poor little baby Mia is being chucked in a barrel and these guards are trying to drown her and kill her in a river and then they go wait why drown it we can just stabby stabby so she's about to die yeah, literally and then we get this quote about her abductors as well and it just again things that probably shouldn't make me laugh but do anyway the first was a man with arms like tree trunks and hands like dinner plates the second had pretty blue eyes and the smile of a fellow who choked puppies for sport and I was like oh okay I didn't realize that there was a smile for that but that's nice to know I'll keep an eye out for that because they will definitely be on my hit list thanks for the warning Jay okay then so she's about to be murdered but that's until she felt a presence or closer a lack of one like the feeling of empty at an embrace's end and she knew sure and certain that something was in the barrel with her watching her waiting very ominous I don't like the darkness no, 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 no. Basically, it's the shadow. And she sort of, the shadow like slides forward her mother's grave brain dagger. So Mia takes that and she's like, yes, I'm going to use that. And she does. And she escapes. Escapes. She escapes. And then I'm back in the footnotes. And here I find another delightful reference. The author is now discussing the Atreian priests who, once they're accepted into the Brotherhood, they have their tongues removed, which seems aggressive. I like tongues. But. <laughs> 
Mm. <laughs> Although they are allowed to fuck and though their lack of tongues can prove a hindrance in their search for wives. <laughs> Literally yeah. my last point being like, I like tongues, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. George is like, no. So then we end up back with the boy at the pub who says the same magical words as what she does. And basically when she sees him, she has this description of him. And the description is, the tattoos on his face were the ugliest me I have, had ever seen, looking like they'd been scrawled by a blind man in the midst of a seizure. Yet the face beneath. I'm not sure about the tattoos, but as soon as he got introduced, I was like... Yeah, let's fuck. <laughs> when they meet, there's this whole thing where he calls her girl and she's like, don't, don't you fucking do that. And the quote is, I called you nothing, sir. And I'll thank you not to call me girl again. As if the word were kin to something that you found on the bottom of your boot. And I was like, fuck yeah. I hate it when girl, darling, honey, like, yeah. like literally yeah. suck my left tit. Like at this point, no. I could literally. I might enjoy that. So don't. Long story short, her and this boy whose name we find out is Trick, even though she's like, that's not your name. <laughs> that's not oh, your name. There's this whole moment where the Dumweri. Dweebs. Dweebs. The Dweebs. Like, the Dweebs all have really epic names, like, you know, like Swordbreaker, Spear Thrower. Lizard Hanger. Like, she's like, your name can't be Trick because he's got the tattoos, even though they're shit. She's like, you can't. And he's like, it is. <laughs> yeah, and they end up becoming associates. They're not really friends. They're not really enemies. They're just associates. And in this moment, I was like, I like it. I like it a lot. I really do. And then the next chapter, we flash back. And Mia, bless her little cotton socks, She. this is where we find out that she names her little shadow cat Mr. Kindly. She's just like, you're nice. You've treated me nice. You can't have a bad name. You're Mr. Kindly. (laughs) Even though you're a demon cat, fuck it up. (laughs) And then we end up like her and Trick are going to go on this adventure to go and see if they can find people who know about the more. That's the whole thing, the more. They had the password. They had to kill someone, give the password. And then they would go to the assassin school except for the fact that no one knows the password. So they're like, well, where could they be? <laughs> they're going on this travel to find where the fuck they can go to get into this assassin school. And they both pick up these horses. And Mia's horse, and she she names it Bastard because it is a bastard. And horses don't fucking like Mia. And honestly, she's like me because in this moment where the horse is just like biting her, fucking he's not having a bar of it. There's this quote that she, like, because she just starts swearing because he's biting her. And she's like, what the fuck? The quote is, burst of profanity, so colourful, you could fling it into the air and call it a rainbow. And I was like, that is literally me because my mother says that I have the mouth of a sailor. Everyone I meet is just like, you swear so much. And I do. Anyone that listens to this podcast is like, they do. Yes. Yes. Mia, still bastard because she stole this horse. She ends up drugging the soldiers of like the closest army barracks with the chili from the pub that they were staying at. And they all have the shits. Mia and Trick set off into the Whisper Waste, which is the desert. And it was like a haunted vibe kind of thing going on. It used to be some fancy kingdom and now it's just deserted. It also has a little bit of fun wildlife just to spice up your adventure. And it's called a Kraken. Well, yeah. a Kraken in like, in, you know, you hear I've seen of parts of the Caribbean. Yeah, like Kraken. Mm. That's what I think of. It's it. like that, but under the sand instead of in the sea. The sand, not water. As it turns out, it, it like rears up and tries to kill 
peel them effectively and it nearly does but Mia ends up taking some of the said chili powder and splashes it in its face and the, the kraken's like nah! he cannot handle nah! his voice and he now has loose poos I know in the, in the past we have spoken about on other episodes the whole idea in fantasy books of there's a vulgar gesture but it's never never clarified what that is in this one we have it and it's called the knuckles <laughs> it just reminds me of friends so then me and trick they're like all right the assassin school has to get supplies so we'll just sit in this lookout until we see some people moving about we'll figure it out and while they are in this lookout we have another sprinkling of references to what we call the true dark massacre tricks being like so your shadow's super interesting <laughs> as they're bonding and you know that's just sprinkled in there nothing to see here mia basically names her list of targets and we start to figure out her motivation for going to the assassin school. Basically, it's the three people that are responsible for her dad. I'm just going to skim past that because what I'm more interested in is we have this moment, which, of course, the author who wrote this book is an Australian because he makes the word cunt normal. And I, it is just... This is everything because I love that word. I even hates it because I always call him a cunt. <laughs> that's I Australian culture, honey. Look it up. It so we have this moment where Trick is unsettled because Mia uses that word. And Mia's like, absolutely not. You call someone a cunt, well, you're implying a sense of malice there and intent. Malevolent and self-aware. Don't think I named Council Scabia a cunt to gift him insult. Cunts have brains, Don Trick. Cunts have teeth. Someone calls you a cunt, you take it as a compliment, as a sign that folk believe you're not to be lightly fucked with. Oh, and yes. she follows it up with, I'd still rather be called a cunt than a cock any term. Oh. Fuck my fucking clit, consensually. Consensually. I loved this. I had a look at some reviews of this book in preparation for this podcast and there were quite a few American girls being like, I just found this very pick-me vibes. Like, of course, she has to justify why cunt is a good thing. I'm like, it's not pick-me vibes. It's, it's Australian. Australian. <laughs> it's Australian. <laughs> Aussie. <laughs> Oh, God. Anywho, we digress again. Mia is now explaining to Trick what it means to be a darken, and she says, folk of the Republic feared what they didn't understand and hated what they feared. And that's a very good way to sum up just, well, life, really, isn't it? Anything. Isn't it? Trick goes, wow, a woman says the word cunt. I'm in love. And you know what? Me too, mate, but it's fine. I'm not going to lie to you throughout this book. I did love uh, I did love Mia. <laughs> I was like, yep, yeah, this is exactly why I'm not straight. Yes, thank you. And <laughs> she, even though she's 16, in my mind, she wasn't 16. She was overage, so it's fine. She's a fictional character. It's fine. Like it out. Um, so then we go to our next chapter. This was another chapter where I was like, where am I? What the fuck is going on? Who are we? Where are we? I'm like one of those child that like can't understand what the fuck you're saying, but they just like laugh and clap at whatever the fuck is happening because it just seems great. I'm like, ha yay! They're like, oh, there's keys. And I'm like, yay! They're like, oh, there's a cat that has shadows. I'm like, yay! Uh, that is me. That is me. I don't so know. accurate. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I'm like, yes, I love it. Thank you, Jay. Let's go. <laughs> I don't. Oh my god. We end up meeting Nave, and in describing Nave's face, the description of her bottom lip sag like a beaten stepchild comes in. That's a little bit weird. A little bit weird. So, <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck kind of is this? That's fine. Each That's fine. Look, we're going to leave it there because now we discover more sand. Krakens, Krakens. I thought you were going to say Krakens. more sand in cracks. And I was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> There's more sand in places there should not be sand. And look, 
I hate sand to begin with. So every time they're in the fucking desert, I hate it. So do I. This is why I don't go to the beach. Not because of the water. It's literally because of the fucking sand. I know. And then when it's windy and it whips you and you're like, oh, and then you get like, oh, you're like, what the fuck? And it's in your toes when you have to wash your feet and oh, no, no. Let's no. Wow, we live in Australia. We're like, oh, <laughs> sand in the beard. Ew. It's too textural. <laughs> so, we're terrible Australians. The only good thing we have is cunt. We're like, cunt, yeah. We're, we're but sand and beaches, no. <laughs> no. Oh, fuck. Okay. We then we have a flashback. We find out that Mia's baby brother and mother are locked in a jail called the Philosopher's Stone, which is just Harry Potter for me. I can't get my head out of that. It's an island jail for criminals not fit for execution, which is great. Sounds like Christmas Island. Does it not? Does it not, Scott? Scott, are you listening to this? It sounds like Christmas Island. You might need to do something about that, Scott. 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 Following up with our trend of Australian culture is calling out your prime minister. (laughs) During the book podcast, look, I don't think he's going to get the message, but he is from marketing, so he might. Anywho, so Nave gets, like, destroyed by a sand crack, and I've skipped over that, but that happens. They're racing out of the dirt. The dentist? The dentist. <laughs> They're racing from the dentist. Things are happening. <laughs> They're playing tennis from the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Nave, Nave's in a bad way. Her intestines have come out of her body and they should be in and we're trying to hold them in place and she's she's not having a good time. Brownie's <laughs> dead. Mia and Trick enter a tussle at this point where they're influenced by the red church and they kind of want to fuck each other and they also really want to kill each other. So like a very dangerous game of knife play. Literally crying. <laughs> oh, my God. Just fucking shit. Anyway, we have another little lamb reference. Oh, no. Feeling <laughs> <laughs> her tithe. We meet Mousen. He's a Shahid. He's one of the teachers at the Red Church. He basically says, You should be more careful, little lamb. And it's giving very much Daddy Bell. And I'm very instantly conflicted because now I want to fuck him. But I'm only 16. Help. I forget that you put yourself in there with like, you yeah, I'm me now. Like, sorry. I'm only 16, Daddy. Why are you saying this? Oh <laughs> Why do we want to fuck you? The last time I got this distraught over an episode was Priest, and of course, then the next thing you say the Daddy <laughs> Bell reference. <laughs> oh no! Um, so then we jump into another flashback, and young Mia is basically on the street trying to hustle, but she's come from privilege and she's not quite used to giving that up. So she gets beaten by other street kids in real time. They're being told that in order to get into the red church, they have to be blindfolded. Trick's not dealing with that very well, which seems like quite the gap in your assassin training. This it does. be very easy of school, but here we are. Mia kindly lends him Mr. Kindly to eat his uh-huh. <laughs> They arrive in the Hall of Eulogies and the blindfolds are taken off and they're in this gorgeous cavernous situation and there's a giant statue of the death goddess Nia. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Mia thinks that I think it's the statue of the death goddess is hot. Obviously not a heterosexual book. Here we are. Turns out Nave isn't dead. She had this little vial of blood around her neck and while she was about to die because her innards were outed, she was like, 
SOS, <laughs> RIP me soon, question mark. Nave's fine. She's like, Mia, I owe you a life debt. But she always speaks in third person. So she's like, Nave owes you a life debt. Why um, does she do that? No idea, but here yeah. we are. We meet the other initiates and there's 30 in total counting Mia and Trick. We meet our main cast of this ensemble, which is the teachers of the Red Church, which are the Shahids. There's two kinds of people in the Red Church. There are hands, which are essentially assassins that don't make the cut and they're then servants. They're the Helping hands, if you will. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so aggressive. <laughs> so sorry. And then there's the blades, which are the assassins that make the cut. It's very exciting. We have some fun group therapy where the teachers, aka the Shahids, list the number of deaths they have to offer to their goddess. Mouser, aka the pickpocket master, is 26. Spider killer, who is our poison master, it has 29. Solace, who is our stabby stabby man, is 36. Ayla, who is aka sexy pants, has 49. And Drusilla, who is a grandmom, has 83. That's traumatic. We'll step past that. That's a lot. We have a literal sins of the father moment after Mia's gone forward and said, my name is Mia Colvert and I would love to be an assassin. This bitch comes up and she's like, oh my God, did you say your name was Colvert? Because my name is Jessamine and my father died because your father was a fucking tool. Basically decides to hate Mia because of that. Thank you, Jess, for your input in this situation, even though no one fucking asked for it, you fucking bitch. No, sorry, and you fucking cunt. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to break myself, cunt. <laughs> Let me just phrase that. Jasmine is obviously keen to play into that basic bitch banter and that's, you know, that's where she's at in her journey and we're sad for her. Yes. Well, we're sad for you, Jess. We're sad. Anywho, I'm back in the footnotes again. And the author now is describing gold wine and a story of how a senator's summer villa caught on fire and he ran back into the blazing home three times to save his wife, his sons, and two bottles of gold wine, which apparently he saved on the second trip. (laughs) Who didn't make the cut the first time? Who did he sacrifice after? And look, honestly, yes. Honestly. And so in the next chapter, we flash back to when Curio and Mia become like buddies. There's this quote where, because he's like, where did you learn to go for the man's genitals? And she's like, my father. He said the quickest way to beat a boy is to make him wish he was a girl. (laughs) That is fucking good, honestly. And then we also get this next quote while they're having this conversation, which is from Mercurio. And he goes, forget the girl who had everything. She died when her father did. Nothing is where you start. Own nothing, know nothing, be nothing. And she's like, why would I want to do that? And he says, because then you can do anything. I was like, Fuck yeah. In real time, we meet Ashlyn and Osiric. They're brother and sister assassins and they've been sent because their father was an assassin for the church and he trained them. Mm. That seems like problematic parenting, but here we are. And then we also meet Hush, who can't speak and uses a chalkboard to communicate, but he's like all white and white and white. We then also meet Lord Cassius, a.k.a. Daddy Blade, the Black Prince, Lord of Blades and leader of the Red Church congregation. And when Mia looks at him, she's like, oh, I don't feel so good. That's your fanny fluttering. It is. It is the fanny flutters. And that's why I messaged Bryony at this point (laughs) in the book. And we're like, do we fuck Cassius? And again, I say we because I am now Mia. Do we fuck him? Trick then gets into a fight with another, we're going to say dweeb. 
We mean no racial connotation when we say people. I just don't know where to start and stop the syllables. No. So he gets into a fight with another dweeb and he calls him Coffee. Mia doesn't understand what this means, but wants to. So we go to the library and we meet the librarian and he advises that coffee means child of rape. That's unfortunate. Isn't it just? But then the dweeb who got into said fight and called him said name is dead. He's dead. Bye-bye. And then we get to our first lesson because we're being trained, remember, by the shahids of, of skills. And this one is being led by Solus, who is blind. And Bryony's notes read blind stabby cat. And that basically sums this up. It does. So they enter into their fighting sequence. And again, they're calling it dancing. They're like, the violence and stuff is described as song. So he's like, does anyone know a song? And so I was like, oh, well, I know a tune. And there's all these moments that I fucking love it. Mia's like, look, it is my time to shine. When in fact, it is not. <laughs> she uses her darkened powers to fix his feet into place. And he just goes, ain't my first rodeo. Slip off your shoes and I'm just going to uh, cut off your arm. Right, the elbow. Just me. Mia blacks out after her arm is cut off, which okay. that's, that's fair. Absolutely. And, like, she comes to and she's hearing bits and pieces, but she basically opens her eyes when she's strapped into a chair and we meet arguably the most hardcore people in this entire book being first is speaker Adonai. Let me just... So, again, Georgia, she makes up her own names for each of the characters. And this person's name, in my mind, was White Walker Dude. It may be wise that we find a different name for this man because it certainly sounds like that was the case. I'm just going to quickly mention a little bit of controversy that I stumbled across surrounding this character. I didn't really realise it until I was doing these notes. But the name in my edition of the book, which I only bought like a few weeks ago, is different to earlier versions. So the character was originally called Adonai, but in, I think it was April last year, Jay changed it to Marius. And I was getting very confused in our notes as I was typing along. Like, like who the fuck is this man? Yeah, yes. It I was like backspacing, like... You've got it wrong. Like, where the fuck are you getting that from? You are wrong, guys. However, yeah, there was a little bit of controversy accusing Jay of being anti-Semitic in the themes of this book. Last year, he ended up tweeting, with sincere thanks to those who highlighted the issue, I've been made aware that a character name was used in Nevernight that shouldn't have been. In love and support of Jewish readers, friends, and their communities, I and my publishers commit to changing the name in all future printing of the novel, which they have done so. I've got the version printed in 2016 or 17. Yeah. Well, I actually got the version that I got off of... Um, Kindle. So the Kindle. Huh. That's interesting that the ebook hasn't been updated then. No, I don't think so. So according to Reddit, because I wanted to look into it a little bit more, Adonai is a Hebrew name for God, and there's apparently an anti-Semitic idea called the blood libel, which is this myth that Jews practice some like ritual killing of Christians for blood rituals. And obviously, knowing what we do know about Marius, you can see how that is yeah. not a good look for this character to be named that, given he deals with a lot of blood. Um, but I am very glad to see that Jay heard the criticism and dealt with it appropriately. This is this conversation, this recording, is where I've heard this. I haven't seen it on Twitter or anything else before now. I had no idea. So obviously, I'm going off reading this book for the last four years. If I refer to Adonai, I'm so sorry. It's an adjustment period. Literally, we've been recording for maybe like an hour or two and I've heard that. 
Yes. So the description we get of Marius is that he is a man tall and slender and pale as a new bled corpse. His eyes were pink, his skin seemed made of marble, a faint blue tracery of veins beneath, hair swept back, white as winter snow, an open silk robe revealing a smooth hard chest. He was the kind of beautiful that dimmed all the world beside him but cold, bloodless. And then we meet Marius's sister, Weaver Marielle. Yes, and this one I called Miss Magic Fingers. <laughs> I just, I come up with this shit as I'm reading and I'm like, I read her name and I'm like, mm, no, Magic Fingers. Magic Fingers, Miss Magic, Magic Fingers. Fingers. I love that there's this big controversy surrounding the name of a character and George is like, hmm, no, I just don't like it. So he shall now be known as <laughs> Miss With every, every character ever. If I can't pronounce the name and I'm not 100% sure, I'm like, nope, that's not their name anymore. But the description we get of Mario is there in the gloom she saw a woman, hunched and misshapen. She was an albino like the man clad in a black robe but what little Mia could see of her flesh was nothing short of hideous, cracked and swollen, bleeding and seeping, rotten to the bone. Ew. That's unfortunate. It's a bit unfortunate. I don't think an endoda spa voucher is going to fix that one. <laughs> no. We're going to need more than a sheet mask there. But look, the weaver and the speaker are sorcerers from the ancient dead civilization that was the wastes prior to the sand. I can't say the name of again. Look, my brain says Ashanti, but I know it's not Ashanti. Ashanti, isn't that a singer? Yeah, that's an R&B singer. Yeah, no, not her. Anyway, but the mastery of their magic comes with a price. For Marielle to be a plastic surgeon, basically, she needs to essentially look like melted plastic. And for Marius, who thirsts for blood, he then has the eternal pain of never getting quite enough but if he has too much he's constantly going to feel like shit and also i'm fairly sure they're fucking yeah, they're the vibes incest vibes i mean i got a little bit of jealousy from the sister but not on the speakers okay the only thing we find out about like the blood drinking later but in this moment the quote is the beautiful man turned to his misshapen sibling come sister love sister mine i thirst Ye may watch if it please thee. And like now I know he's referring to drinking blood, but at the time I'm like, what is she watching him do? And we have a lot of incest here. So again, why is there so much incest? In the why do we always find these books? And yeah, it's not, but it is. And I'm so sorry, but we're here now. Then we go into while Mia is finding about the weaver, which my notes auto-corrected to weather, so that's funny. We hear this quote again as well, which is, not all that is dead truly dies, and the mother keeps only what she needs, which will come back. But moral of the story, Mia gets her arm back because Weaver Marielle's skills is that she can just grow that shit back out. She can, she's a plastic surgeon, whereas the speaker has some other skills that we will develop later. I'm like, when they're just retouching that, I'm like, that's not, she's, that's not going to be very useful later on. She's going to have very bad arthritis in that elbow. Anyway, she wakes up after having her arm reattached and like, oh, there it is. What the hell? I thought this was gone. And then she sees Trick. And Trick is just like, that fucking bastard. I tried to beat the shit out of Solus when he did that to you, but he kicked the shit out of me. Moral of the story, Mia is told by Drusilla, aka Stabby Grandma, that although being darkened means that she is marked by the death goddess in their eyes, it will not mean that she's favoured or given any special boons in class. They'll heal her arm back, but it is a school for assassins, so there's no detention, just decapitation. Which is unfortunate, but here we are. (laughs) 
Next chapter. So Mia and I'm going to call it Ash because Ashlyn's too long. So Mia and Ash sneak out to Snoop and basically Mia discovers that there is another darken in the church which is Lord Cassius. And where Mia has Mr. Kindly, Cassius has a wolf, a shadow wolf called Eclipse. And basically, Mr. Kindly is shitting bricks. He is not, he's like, oh dear God, what the fuck is going on? And we come to find out later that he's not actually afraid for himself, but you know, that's fine. We then, to fast track through it all, Mia and Ash talk shop and they don't actually realize that as they're sneaking back to their rooms, that hush, the little quiet one that writes on the chalkboard is watching them. Which this is also in the context of that guy that insulted Trick and called him coffee was murdered. Trick saying it wasn't me, even though everyone's like, well, you guys were arguing. So, mm. Mm. but no one knows. There's a murder being investigated. No one knows. And then Hush is just hanging out in the shadows being like. Isn't he playing with his knife as well? Like, yeah. He's playing with his knife and I'm like, oh. And then we just keep getting weird flashbacks to something about a cell in the dark and what I'm assuming is Mr. Kindly saying, don't look. And then we just get no context. That was it. That is the hints at the true dark massacre. Mm-hmm. The nightmares, which so far you're like, all right, there's some nightmares. There's this thing that happened and you're not really putting two and two together yet. We're just getting sprinkles of things. And I'm like, okay, I'll put that in the back of my noggin and come back to it later. So then we're into lesson two with Sticky Fingered Mouse. And it is pickpocketing. And as Mouse says is, as my ex-wife used to say, it's all in the fingers indeed that it is we learn that pickpocketing is in the faint in the feel it's in the eyes and it's lips mouser gives the students a challenge for pickpocketing and jessamine kisses mouser to steal from him thus showing off her talents quite like what mia did remember remember Mm -hmm. last time yet her arm does not get dismembered and I do not like this woman. I do yeah, not like her. Catherine's giving me big pick-me-girl vibes that I'm not mm-hmm. about it. But Mouser pulls out a priest charm as part of his teaching and Mia does not go well with that. And Mouse immediately dismisses the rest of the class, but it's it's unfortunately too late. They've all seen Mia is basically like, oh, what scrambling back like a hissing cat. And Mouse is, he's apologetic. He's like, look, I should have known because Lord Cass yes, is dark him as well. But lol, the comment he makes is, I know the light hates his bribe. And he hates those she loves just as much. We're getting these broader hints throughout the book at that the goddess creature that makes darken is the goddess of death. The other general people believe in the light, which is the husband. So the husband, light, darkness, bride. There's a situation there, vaguely referenced. But yeah, Mia is still recovering from losing her arm and has the privilege of then starting her lessons with sexy stepper pants, Ayla, the Shahid of masks. And Mia's description is... To call her pretty was to call the typhoon a summer breeze. Can't relate. But basically, sexy stabby teaches soft touch, lingering stare, whispering sweet nothings that mean everything, you know. And the quote is that she says to Mia, which I fucking love. So she says, love is a weapon. Sex is a weapon. Your eyes, your body, your smile. She shrugged. Weapons. And they give you more power than a thousand swords. Open more gates than a thousand war walkers. Love has toppled kings, Mia, ended empires. 
even broken our poor sunburned sky. I'm all for this because I'm always like, it is literally the power of the pussy. The context of that quote is me as like, oh, you know what? I'd rather prefer a knife to whatever you're teaching here. And Ayla's like, honey, no. You could stab your way into any situation. Doesn't mean you're going to have the best outcome. But part of this is that Mia gets her plastic surgery uh, as part of her teachings. And the quote is, they will never see the knife in your hand if they are lost in your eyes. They will never taste the poison in their wine when they are drunk on the sight of you. Again, can't relate. Power of the fucking pussy. I'm telling you. Look, turns out she gets like a full body makeover. It's not just like a little nip tuck. It is like fillers, lipo, boob job, nose job, all of the things. There's also no anaesthetic. No, 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 no. Very much hurts. Mia's looking at her new body after all this and she feels like the puzzle that was her face now makes sense, which is great for her. But also I was looking at reviews of the book and there's a few people who didn't quite like this scene thinking it's very much a bit too male gazy and a little unfortunate that it was an adult man that wrote this scene about a 16 year old getting a boob job because without boobs, she wasn't memorable enough, but she can't have boobs too big because then she'd be too memorable. And... Like, yes, I guess I get why that's uncomfy, but they're missing the bigger point with what Shahid Sexy Time is trying to bring across, which is like, you've got to use all of your assets to like get in the door. And as a girl who was a former surfboard, ironing board, flat-chested warrior, a boob job gives you a sense of empowerment. Look, I have always wanted a nose job because I feel like I have a big schnoz, but I have hesitated. As someone that's looked at their body and gone, you know what? Maybe change things, maybe don't. I haven't done anything, but I'm fully about changing things in your spectrum. Obviously, I understand the concerns of when it's a young person. I understand that context. But again, this girl has gone to an assassin school to sign up and become a weapon to, for lack of a better way of it she wants to shed her identity in theory to Mm -hmm. be a weapon to kill people yeah well see i'm one of those people whenever people ask me they're like oh like what like what do you use to edit your photos and i'm like i edit the fuck out of my everything that you see on the internet it's edited the fuck out of i don't post anything on the internet unless it's edited (laughs) but people are very strung up on the theory of like you need to be natural be your natural self i'm like absolutely yes go for gold I'm Good also for you. I'm oh. not there. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I I just would prefer not to be. I don't know if it's because I'm a reader and I'm like, that's a different per- That ain't me. That woman that you see on my Instagram, that ain't me. <laughs> and if anyone asks me, I'm going to shamelessly say that I use filters. And that is okay. Then we go from that moment, we get to know one of the other acolytes who is Carlotta, Lottie, if you will. She's got a slave mark on her cheek, but she is hustling and I love her. Yeah. And like Ash and Mia have become really good friends as well at this point. And obviously Lottie has now come into that little group too, which I really like, but I'm also like, you're all assassins. And I'm like, I'm a little bit warned about how this friendship is going to turn out. But when Ash sees Mia for the first time, she's like, holy fucking shit, those baps. Ash's response to Mia's boob job is what I would do. Exactly. If one of you showed up with new tits, I would be like... Look at those honkers. Anyways, so Ash is like, holy shit, those bats. Absolutely. Trick sits down and he's like smelling the soup and he's like, this does this smell weird to you? And then he turns around and he's like, what the fuck is wrong with your face? And then he walks off. And that leads into our lesson three with poison stabby pants. 
which is spider killer. Turns out Trick does have a really good sense of smell because she poisoned all of their breakfast. And lesson three out of every lesson, but lesson one with poisons, Dabby Pants, is um how not to die at breakfast. Apparently Mia and Carlotta are the only ones that have the, the knowledge of this. Mm. And so they managed to find a cure for everyone. Spider killer's like, this is a teachable moment. And awesome. Mia's like, I was just trying to appreciate my big job. Also. <laughs> spider killer you want to be as discreet as possible as an assassin and she's just like my name is spider killer which i mean again the group of people that she has come from whose names i can't figure out how to pronounce it makes sense that she would be they'd be like you know what as a child you're fucked spider killer she's probably there as like a three-month-old baby stomping on spiders and they're like well that's fucking problematic So Mia continues with their studies and the weaver continues to give the acolytes their queer eye makeover moment. And the Shahids each have their own contest in their classes that we begin to discover. So Mouses is the pickpocketing list. So basically they all have to go around the school and find different items and each item is worth a certain amount of points. Spider killer is about a form a poison. It's to create an antidote to a certain poison that she's created and you need to take the poison first and then the antidote and that's how you see whether or not you win and And then sexy ladies is a secret you basically just have to come to her with a secret which is cool and then also just spider killer just keeps randomly poisoning the acolytes like all the time and making them save themselves with the antidotes and then everyone keeps randomly dying. So they, they start off with like 30 and now they're at like maybe 19 because a lot of them just keep dying. And she's just like, meh, soz. We discover that there's also a literal blood bluff, which is the speaker uses magic to basically teleport people. And it's called the blood war. They are tasked with, while they're getting secrets for sexy stabby pants, they basically are sent into God's grave. And wherever the red church has a bloodbath, the speaker can send them through the blood walk to that location, teleporting. It's a very good transit system. It's just a bit messy. So then basically Mia uses the opportunity when she does the blood walk to God's grave for the first time to catch up with Mercurio. He gives her a warning that the church will ask her to do dark things soon, hinting that she won't only be killing people that deserved it. Mia doesn't absorb this, but that's fine. She's on a vengeance quest and she's very intent. Also, turns out the pub that Mia chose to meet Mercurio in is the favourite pub of the soldiers, a.k.a. she then bumps into the guy... That's puppy killer. (laughs) That's unfortunate. She's running away when she's picked off the street and knocked out. When she comes to, she's tied up and is being tortured by confessors, which are basically really, really painful priests that like to do some stabbing and some torturing to get the information out of you. And they're like, oh, but God wills it. Thanks, God. You fuck you. you. There's some subtext there that I'm just going to let speak for itself, but here we are. They're basically zealot assassin hunters, essentially, and that's where we get to. Well, yes. So whilst being tortured for information, she is able to break out with the assistance of Mr. Kindly. So she can kind of like bend iron sometimes when she wills it to. Yeah, shadows. Yes. Anywho, Cassius is there and he's really 
not fucking helpful at all and Mia asks him about being a dark and, and he's like oh so I don't really know either again I feel like now is an appropriate time to ask why do I want to fuck him as it's also an appropriate time to ask what the fuck is his point in being in this book at this point because I know like, what are you if actually we're not here to fuck him what are we going to do to him exactly if you're not here to fuck get the fuck out sir we and you don't need to fuck or give information. Fuck well, like final two chapters of this book, they deal with that query. Literally, I'm like, thanks. But oh, at this fuck. stage, you're like, oh my God, Mia doesn't know what she is. Maybe she'll get answers. And Cassie's like, well, I don't fucking know either. And because of a man, I've never asked the question. Literally. Yeah, so that's what the normal reader was thinking. And I'm just like, but he has chiseled cheekbones. So are they going to fuck? And every time she sees him, there's this weird thing where she almost feels sick. And you're like, but could that just be horny? Yes. Indeed. It's not because they may be related. To be fair, he does only call her sister in the sense that all Darkin are like call each other family in that way, not like an actual biological. Well, that's good to know. So then we could still sit on his face. Good. And so after this moment, Mia struggles with the weight of becoming a killer, but her vengeance ends up winning out. And there's this quote and it's, I nor glass, they asked. Mia clenched her jaw, shook her head. She was neither. She was steel. Yes, queen. I love that for you. We go back to the red church and Mia goes back to Solace's fighting classes because she was like, look, I've had enough time off now that my arm has regrown and is no longer decapitated. I'm very happy for you, honey. And she's partnered up with Jessamine to practice. Seems unfortunate. She's given a... They're also not practicing with wooden swords. No real steel. I mean, to be fair, if you can just grow limbs back, what's the fucking point of fake? But here we are. Anywho, Mia makes a deal with Trick to help study and realises that they are both horny for each other. And Mr. Kindly is not a fan of this. So he says, though I have no face, believe me when I say I am scowling the pants off you right now. Mia rolled her eyes and said, yes, father. And then he goes, of course, a state of pantlessness seems to be your goal. So perhaps I should stop. Which just makes me think like how fucking awkward for any future sexual encounters if you've just got like your, your cat who's your childhood best friend imagine you're on a tinder date yes hi my name is mia i'm an assassin this is my demon cat he's just gonna watch again we have this moment where hush is just like lurking in the shadows watching and you're like that's interesting hush stop it you fucking creep can just imagine all of the acolytes like doing their own thing hush is like walking past all creepily and georgia spots him and it's like what the fuck are you doing stop being so literally and i would too i have no filter so i'd be like what are you fucking doing cunt The acolytes are then woken up in the middle of the night for a little situation. And turns out while Mia hasn't noticed Hush, other people have. <laughs> Hush is chained up for what we call is a um a blood scourging, scourging. It's getting um, shit whipped out of him. It's a little fun trick where the speaker and the weaver rip you open and then they put you back together. It seems like a pleasant fun time. White Walker and Magic Fingers at it again with their shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> So basically they watch that happen and it's kind of like instead of lashes, they just rip you open, they blood eagle you and then they put you back together. It's very exciting. And that's when we also realise that Hush doesn't have um, teeth because he's screaming. Uh, It's just all gums. Mia stops by Hush's room later as she hears smashing and like he opens the door and he's trashing his room. And she's... She offers her support, but he slams the door in her face. Mr. Kindly reminds Mia that pity is a weakness to be used against you. 
Scare it, Domo and Remus will not share it. And she's like, well, one more reason to hold on to it then, eh? And it's like, well, you are in an assassin school, honey. They go, look, that was a traumatic event, but what if we let all of you acolytes out for a little bit of a party? <gasps> oh, my God, I loved this. They're getting real horny. They're getting horny and they're going out for a party and everyone's dressed up. It's masquerade time. Loved it. Absolutely here for it. Mia's look is something that I would absolutely die to wear. A daring gown of crushed velvet in a deep wine red. She puts a hat on her head. There's coal for her eyes. Burgundy paint for her lips. Pulling on a pair of long gloves and a wolf fur stole. And then we obviously, sexy stabby pants. She looks like a fucking snack. Yeah, she does. Yes, she fucking does. And Lottie actually says, she's like, I would kill my own mother to get into a dress like that. And Ash goes, I would kill you and your mother to get into a dress like that. And I was like, yes, that's how you want to be described. That could also be a warning. It definitely could. And now that we know, it's terrifying. And then we also get this sweet little moment again, and it's very cute. So Trick, walking arm in arm with Ashlyn, noticed Mia shivered and slipped his free arm around her for warmth. Mia regretted her choice of dress a little less. I was like, oh, that was really cute. And then they arrive at the ball. They have to give their names and their invitations. So he pulls his invitation out straight away. And she's like, and your name? And like, he's like, why do I have to give my name? You know, like he's very defensive. And Mia's just like, his name is Barra Cuddlegiver. <laughs> and then we get this moment where they dance and it's cute. And it's almost like they're not assassins for a night. And I really loved it. It was beautiful. Oh, I loved it. But unfortunately, the moment is broken up as they are then treated as party crashes. And we realize that the invitations they were given by the Red Church were fakes, but also noticeably fake. And it's another test. So they basically have to bust out there. They have to run. They have to kill their way out. It's all very dramatic. But Ayla then greets them near the blood walk and says, I'll give to you a reminder. Walk among them. Play among them. Live and laugh and love among them. And never forget for one moment what you are and never forget what it is you serve. They are very intense. And at this moment, it was giving me very much like Bachelor vibes. I'm not sure if you guys watch The Bachelor, but at this Who moment- is the goddess of death going to give a rose to? Exactly yes. my point. Exactly my point. And we find out that one of the acolytes didn't make it back from the masquerade, some guy called Tobo. And yes. it's just like- so with The Bachelor, you start out with 20-something contestants, right? And each week, someone goes home. At the beginning of the series, they usually kill off quite a few at once because you don't really know who they are yet, right? We don't really care. We want to watch the good people. And then as the weeks go on, it starts going one by one. But a lot of the ones that we never know their names, like they're never the ones doing like little solo interviews or having the one-on-one times with The Bachelor, they all get sent home, aka dead. And that is Tovo. Tovo is one of the unnamed Bachelorette contestants. You did not receive a rose. It is time for you to leave the villa. Look, at this stage, we also get this point that Trick doesn't want his plastic surgery. He feels very attached to his fucked up face. Quite fond of it. And me is trying to talk him through it and being like, look, it is fine. No big deal. The face is just a face. Yeah, it's not going to change who you are on the inside. And then Jess shows up. And she's stolen the fucking amulet that our mate Pocket had. He was trying on his costumes and she holds it up. 
Tamia to obviously get Mia to react the same way as what she did when she was in the class. She does. And Mr. Kindly gets so distressed because obviously he's a shadow. It's a light. It's not good. He's dim and kitty. He literally legs it and he has never left Mia's side since the whole incident. And now she's alone. And she is stressing the fuck out. So I can't remember what happens, but Jess ends up, something stops. It stops happening. Trick like runs after Mia because Mia runs off trying to find Kitty. And she's so stressed. She's like, she's just been through this traumatic event and now Mr. Kitty's gone. Then this is quote, then she felt it. Strong arms enveloping her, holding her tight. Trick pressed her to his chest, wrapping her up, smoothing her hair, holding her close. It's all right, he murmured. It'll be all right. And I was like, stop it. I'm crying. And then she gets angry. And she's like, wait, I'm a fucking assassin. I, there's no time for these tears. Let's go to the fucking library. And that's me too. Whenever I'm like stressed out, I'm like, new books, let's go. This. And then we flash to the next chapter, which is, so me and Trick, they go to the library to get some answers. And instead they encounter these lovely giant creatures called the bookworms, which I was like, too funny. And basically... It turns out after the book bookworm runs away, it turns out that the library is basically filled with books that shouldn't exist. So, you know, dead books in Death Goddess's library. It does make sense. It does. It does. And there's this quote, the books we love, they love us back. And just as we mark our places in the pages, those pages leave their marks on us. And I was like, I've never related to something so much in my life. Then... The librarian tells Mia she is a girl with words in her soul, a story to tell. Mia responds to that being in the red church that means that no one should know your name or story and the librarian suggests that then maybe this isn't where she's meant to be and this will not be the first time that someone hints to her that this isn't the right place for her. Which would just encourage me more. I'm like, well, fuck you. Fuck you. wrong then. As Mr Kindly is currently still MIA at the moment, Mia has a nightmare of the last time where it was true dark and she made a little visit to the philosopher's stone when she was 14. But she wakes up from that and goes, absolutely not. Yes. Hey, Satan. She's like, I can't have stomach flutters. I've got to have bunny flutters. So she runs off. She's like, knock, knock, knock on Trick's door. And it's happening. She's like, I know what I want. Now let me suck that dick. He's like, you don't have to do this. She's like, I fucking want to sit back. Then, of course, once that deed is done, the favour is returned. And I love that. We love a little give some, get some. Good on everyone. And this fucking quote, it sent me because I'm all for, I'm like a praise kink kind of person. So I'm like, you tell me that I'm doing a good job. I will do it better. And he's like, I want you. He breathed. Mother of fucking night, I want you. And then there's this next moment where, because I was like on the edge of my seat at this point. I was like, yes, they're going, fuck. Oh my God. And then she's like, actually, no. And she basically learns that this power that she holds in her hand right now, aka power of the pussy, is everything. And the quote is, this is the strength that topples kings, ends empires, even breaks the sky. And I was like, fuck yes even in this scene like obviously the author jay darling human is a man so when it starts off with a blowjob i'm like well that's unrealistic (laughs) but here we are and then we get serviced again 
completely unrealistic. <gasps> ah, true. She then basically goes to bed and that's when she wakes up. She's like, oh, I should probably go back to my bed now because there is a curfew because they never discovered the, the killer of the other acolytes. But that's fine. I'll go back to bed. And Mr. Kindly is like, what do you call this hour? And then she realizes that, you know what, Trick, as lovely as he is, he also is not teaching her everything she needs. So she uses her life debt that Nave owes her for saving her life in the in the desert and uses that so she's having secret morning training sessions with Nave that we don't really find out any details about. Then Ashlyn helps Mia get the Trinity from Jessamine and they have to steal it from her belongings near the blood pool. And to do so, Mia has to distract Marius and they nearly make out, which is weird. The man has pink eye and blood <laughs> and he probably fucks his sister. And yet her belly was thrilled at the thought of kissing him. Spare me, please. So as Zeus joins us for this episode now, basically Mouser is teaching the acolytes sign language. That's the summary. Yes, and basically in this moment, Mia is trying to keep her distance from Trick because she's like, it can't go any further. I've just got to end it now. Because I think she's got that itch in the back of her head where it's like, eh, you know, when you're like, do I like this person more than what I should? No, no. But then there's this niggle in the back of your head like, yeah you do <laughs> she's also where they are in assassin school there's limited spots to be a blade and this is at the same time where the testing is intensifying and like at one stage they have poison gas that's leaked into their bedrooms one morning and trick gets out because he can just smell it before it's even like gone in the room he's like what the fuck is that and they're like well you've just ruined our fun get out of here and then Mia is she's trying to track spider killer's formula because she knows that's her best shot at becoming a blade and her and another girl called Carlotta are really close and Carlotta's really good with spider killer's lessons as well and they're down at breakfast one morning and Carlotta's taking her notes down there and she's sort of trying to work on the formula and they've all gone like maybe it's not the best idea to take your notes downstairs with everyone and at the same time as that conversation occurs Jessamine and her they like bump into her they make a hand bump into her spilling shit all over her notes they laugh about it she channels her inner Paul Sheldon decides to rip out those ruined notes roll them up into a ball and shove them in Jessamine's throat and it's glorious. So obviously at this stage, the tension is rising between all the acolytes. It's bubbling up. And that's as it's also getting closer to their, basically their exams. So basically we get a little bit of trickle of Trick's backstory and about how he got his tattoos. And we actually find out that Trick's name means drown him and be done. That's unfortunate. Look, that wouldn't go on the birth certificate, no. I gotta say that I did think that this bit was his so... He's called Coffee, which is child of rope. And then I thought that it was the priestess had like, he was born and like, you know, he's lifted out of the womb. And the priestess was like, nah. Just yeet him back in, actually. <laughs> and basically, after this moment, the reason why they're having all these conversations is because Trick is actually going to have his face redone. So he comes to her room afterwards and he looks scrum diddly umptious and the the quote of describing him is a picture just as she'd known he'd be the ink was gone the drake tooth scars vanished a smooth flawless tan beneath cheeks more defined the hollows around his eyes filled the kind of handsome a girl might raise an army for slay a god or demon for 
this girl at least and I was like oh fuck it is on I mean like he was really touchy about losing his ink because even though it was his trauma he felt attached to it and so he's got the ink in a little vial around his Mm -hmm. neck and of course then we get into some uh, fiddling and it turns out you know what means like actually while you're tasting me I would really like to taste you so we get some 69 (laughs) which is the same thing from little things, big things. <laughs> anyway, it's not in Australia. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. So basically, long story short, they fuck. Yippee, yay! I'm all here for it. Absolutely, yes. And they fall asleep in each other's arms afterwards. And Mister Kindly is like waiting patiently for her nightmares to come, so he can drink up that fear and nom nom nom. And they don't. And he's not very happy about this at all. And so basically, they wake up the next morning, and Ash comes in. She doesn't really care, but she comes bearing some terrible, terrible news, which is that Lottie is dead. Moral of the story, though, from here, Jessamine frames Mia for Carlotta's murder. And because Mia was in Trick's room, her room was vacant and available for staging, which is unfortunate. So basically, Mia is getting the sentence for the murder, and it is 50 lashes via the weaver and the speaker's hand magic situation. At the last moment, Mia is shirtless. She is chained to this pillar. She's about ready to get lashed. There's basically no way she can survive this, but she's ready to take it. And at the last moment, Trick steps forward and he's like, look, Mia couldn't have killed Lottie because she was um on this stick. And they've gone, well, that's good to know. She didn't kill that person, but also she was out past curfew. So now you're both getting lashes. Yeah. So initially she gets 50 lashes and then he comes in and then he gets a hundred and then, yeah, it's a whole. And then she comes back and she's like, look, I was fucking him. We were equal participants, 50-50. And they're like, you know what? That sounds like a good deal. So they've got both Mia and Trick shirtless, chained to the pillar They're holding hands and Mia gives Trick Mr. Kindly to eat his fear and she just takes it. Oh, she does. And we flash back to Mia at 14 at the Philosopher's Stone during True Dark. And it's when Mia's trying to break out her mother from prison. It doesn't really go too well. Her mum's gone a bit cray cray. But she ends up getting stabbed by an inmate and Mia's like holding her as she's dying and she's going not my daughter, just her shadow. And then she says, and he's in you. And I actually feel a little bit uneasy because he's a kitty cat. Her mum realising that she's a darken, right? And she's her first instinct is to say, he's in you. But I thought if Mia was touched by the darkness, which is the mother, who the hell is he? Why is he in her, Bryony? Don't look at me. As soon as Bryony picked up the book, I was like, what the fuck is she doing? I have absolutely no poker face. So, look, it's a very interesting point. We'll get back to that. Basically, at this moment where because of being lashed and she doesn't have Mr. Kindly, tricks with Mr. Kindly, that's what pulls her back into this flashback, which is her nightmares, which normally Mr. Kindly eats. So, for the first time, she's dealing with it on her own and she's remembering everything. Mm -hmm. It's at this moment that Mia goes off. And the quote is, the girl stood, raven hair flowing about her as if in some invisible wind, hands in fists, a hundred shadows snaking in the air about her. The walls split and cracked. The ceiling began to sag to crumble. And just as the brickwork split asunder, as hundreds of tons of masonry collapsed, obliterating the stairwell and all within, 
the girl stepped inside one of those writhing tendrils of darkness and stepped out from the shadows five floors above. And this is where we get the first hint inkling at Mia One is at her most powerful with her darkening powers in True Dark, which is essentially a solar eclipse, I'm gathering. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she can also teleport by stepping from one shadow to another. And basically the moral of the story is she gets out of the Philosopher's Stone jail, she demolishes the building and every shadow that she passes adds to her power. From there, Mr. Kindly is also trying to calm her down because obviously this is like a 14-year-old girl that's just watched her mother die. Um, She's having a time. And obviously calming her down doesn't work. But she just thinks this ends when he does and he is the person that sentenced her father to death. So she goes to try and take him out at 14 years of age. Fuck him up, sis. She fails, but she basically takes out an army nearly And that's where the whole true dark massacre that's in their history books is. We then jump into part three of the book, which is Black Runs Red. And that's where Mia comes to. And she seems to have actually finally acknowledged her past throughout the rest of this book. She's been having nightmares, trying to keep it at bay. She's actually had to deal with it now. So that's nice. But she has this thought where it's so much blood on her hands, so much power at her fingertips, and she's not even come close. We have work to do. Training montage. Mia gets down to business not to defeat the Huns, but hustles with Maeve when teachers set a fire. And basically in this moment as well, we figure out that Mia is the only one who's close enough to Spider Killer's formula now that Lottie is... And she loudly declares, slash has a breakthrough, that she's figured out the secret formula at the luncheon. And then basically Mia goes back to her room. She's been staying away from Trick since the whole fucking, it's the whole situation. And she gets this note underneath her door that is like, I want you, Trick. And so she's like, all right, I'm going. And it is a fade to black scene, which I was very very unhappy with okay just a paragraph it doesn't need to be detailed but it just needs just to tell us words of penetration so then solace's exam begins and it's basically just fight club so yes. they all get matched up and it's like a round robin to the death basically except mario and marius are there to stitch everyone back together so diamo opts out because apparently he solved Spider Killer's formula. Wonder how he did that. Interesting. And we forgot to mention that Mia had, you know, obviously when she made that amazing like speech at lunch, she also hid her notes in her room before she, you know, fiddled the piddle with uh, yes. her mate. And so they're going, hold on, Mia, you were close. He's not good at poison. She's like, well, would it be awkward if I wasn't in my room? And they're like, oh, you're shitting my dick. But that's fine. At this stage, everyone thinks Mia is also shit at fighting because she was behind in her studies because she lost her fucking arm and she hasn't showed any remarkable signs of recovery. So at first, she's called forward to fight this other guy called Marcellus, another random character who we're going to forget about. Everyone thinks that Mia will get her ass handed to her, but alas, Mia has been training with Nave in secret. So Mia really took it to heart when Mercurio said to her earlier that sometimes weakness is a weapon if you're smart enough to use it. And she basically goes, oh, oh, I'm actually not shit. So of course she makes it to the finals and guess who she's matched against? Jessamine. So Mia asks what the time is and takes her time stretching before the match begins. She's just doing some warm-ups. 
She's making sure she's not going to pull any muscles. Mia ends up baiting Jessamine by showing her that she is tiring. And then she starts to talk about Daimo, who then falls over, vomiting blood. And Mia takes that opportunity to bury her weapon in Jessamine's stomach. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. This is so good. And she does the whole like villain monologue where she's like, God, I wondered if you would fall for it. Yeah. And you're I like, oh it. my God. She has faked the breakthrough in her notes. She's Fucked faked it. the cure. They've stolen it and oh, beautiful. Literally loved it. So basically, obviously she makes it past, she wins against Jess and then she ends up having to fight Trick. And like Trick's mad at her, she can tell it. But then she starts like, Egging him on. And I'm like, what is going on? Because we knew, like, there was, like, an internal monologue before that kind of gave the hint that she was like, if Trick doesn't win this... He doesn't get anything else. He doesn't get anything. Where she can still win the poison one. But... But Mia is just... I think she takes it a little bit too... She knows... It's that thing where you know the person you're closest with, you know that there's particular things that if you did say, you could really hurt them. But as their partner, you never say those words. No. Mia goes, why not? Get him angry. He'll do yes. better. Yes. So what does she call him? A coffee, which we know. Trigger it's, word. It's his fucking trigger word. And I was mad. As soon as she said that, I was like, you fucking what? Mia. And he basically beats the shit out of her. <laughs> and then she yields. And we figure out why she did that was because, you know, obviously she could win the antidote game, but he couldn't. So Trick figures this out, obviously, and he comes to her room after everything and he's fucking furious. And he's basically like, absolutely not. Whatever the fuck this is, it cannot happen anymore. And he's like, I never want to see you again. So bye. So Mia's trying hard to solve the poison formula. She's still got a couple of days to work it out. Um, Spider Killer gives her a little bit of a hint, but it's Hush that shows up and tries to help her. Again, Hush is one of the other people who thinks that Mia doesn't belong in the Red Church. And he gives her Carlotta's notebook, which I don't know if we find out whether or not that means he killed her or if he just has it. We put, he doesn't, he doesn't answer it, but he basically implies that he did it. The thing is, at this stage, I go, okay, this is Hush admitting he's killed Mm. Carlotta. But when we get the twist with Ashlyn and Osric, Rick was obviously closer to Carlotta and they were working closely together on a secret project. That's right. So I, I genuinely... I'm not sure who it was. Mm. No, but anywho, Mia cracks the formula and she gets the award. So Trick and Mia, we've got two spots left. Hush takes out Mouse's competition, which is a bit of a surprise because Ash was like in the lead the whole time for this one. And that means there's only one more competition up for grads. And that is the secrets for Lady Sexy Pants. Again. Ash tries to tell Mia she doesn't belong. Very interesting. Yes. You then have this moment where while Ash is going off to search for secrets to try and get that last spot, Mia goes to the library before initiation and discovers that the Chronicler is actually dead, a.k.a. when he was like, you know, the goddess only keeps what she needs. She was like, I need a ghost librarian. That's what I need. So basically to pass the final initiation, we find out. So they're all standing in a line. They're all like, oh, Ash ends up getting the secret. We don't know what it is, whatever. And then Trick gets pulled into a room 
He comes out and he's like pale as fuck, shaken up. Mia then gets pulled into the room and turns out the final initiation is to kill an innocent boy. And Mia falters. And she's basically like, no, I am not going to become that monster that I am trying to kill. So she doesn't go through with it. She's like, no, Soz, I am not iron or glass. I am steel. Fuck you. Mercurio ends up being summoned to come and collect Mia. There's like the two options. It's like you're either become a hand or Soz. Ash ends up coming to see her and was like, are you going to leave without saying goodbye? And then she kisses her on the gob. Yeah, she does. Which we did have a kiss on the lips before when um, she found out like she was doing the whole acting thing for figuring out the antidote when she was yes. tricking Jess and whatever. The and fuck. look, Ash has made comments throughout this book about like, you know, she said that the kiss was something good. She commented on the new baps. And at this point as well, because the next part of this chapter we get is actually from Ash's point of view. And at this point, I was like, why is this? Why is this here? Why are we getting this? I don't like it. It's giving me weird vibes. And basically, we're realizing a lot of things. So A, Ash has a crush on Mia, which, you know. And B, Ash has fucking secrets. Oh, she does. So she meets a trick and they're talking about Mia and then she stabs trick. I was not okay in this moment. I wasn't that disturbed by it because I have a feeling he's not dead. That's just my vibe. So next chapter, Mia ends up catching on and she's putting two and two together and she figures out that Ash is not a good egg. And so she goes running back to the church and when she realizes like something is wrong because there is a very large group of soldiers about to enter through their little blood pool. Not a good thing. This whole scene is like a very sexy assassin fever dream that I'm about. So you've got Mia sneaking into the blood walk. Obviously, she has to be nakey-nakey except for her grave bone situation. You have this whole badass scene where she's coming out of the blood walk and obviously so she's like this naked woman with dark hair that's like nearly to her hips and she's covered in blood and she's just like coming out and being like, what's up, motherfuckers? Bet you thought you'd seen the last of me. And then she takes on all of the soldiers and Osiric and we have this quote where it's, Mia could feel it, the power of the night coursing beneath her skin, the hungry dark, the mother herself, the goddess who'd marked her staring with black eyes at these men who'd invaded her holy ground and she was angry. Osric then also confirms that Ash has killed Trick. The speaker then kills Osric by drowning him in the blood walk. That's an awful way to go. Gives Mia some of his blood to basically be like, let me know when it's okay come back home and he yeets out of there with the weaver so then the enemy soldiers are stuck in the red church and that's when Mia starts to work her way through the church and we get these amazing choreographed moments where she lures the guards to the library and is like jumping between shadows transporting herself like she has been doing and the bookworms take out the guards oh and the librarians just watching like having a smoke on the balcony being like this is some good shit yeah. And also, if we haven't clarified, the bookworms are kind of like the um, worm from Akatar. It's problematic. It's going to haunt me for the rest of my life, but that's fine. Mia basically uses the opportunity to resupply. She finds Nave and Deshman and a bunch of survivors within the church that are trying to 
regroup and kick off the assault, but they're very battered. Luckily, they have now an assassin who can jump between shadows. Ashlyn and the Legionnaires, they basically go, well, they know the speaker has gone. They know they can't teleport out. They've got to take the wagons and go through by camel through the sand krakens. Me goes, well, I've got an idea for this and hitches a ride. And then mid camel train goes sand krakens. Love that for me calls them on and the sand kraken's like well i hate this bitch so four of them just pop on up and they're like this is my time to shine the sand kraken attack the train and she basically then uses that opportunity to like they take one train she takes the other and there's this whole moment the choreography of basically the last quarter of this book is just violence and i love it moral of the story she's working her way through the trains through the men as the sand kraken's uh, attacking she's using them as a distraction and the soldiers in the previous train have watched her do this. So they're like, we're not going to fall for that shit. And she ends up being stranded with dead camels on a sand hill. She blacks out. When she comes to, she is awoken by someone nudging her. And it is none other than the horse called Bastard. At this point, I also don't know how fucking long it's been, but it's the next chapter. And... Mia is back at the last hope. She's talking to the fat man she initially saw, can't remember what his name is, and she basically puts everyone in the establishment to sleep and he was supposed to be going to the garrison tower, which is where the people that she wants to kill are. So she's like, sir, you're not doing what I thought you were going to do. So you kind of screwed up my plan. So I'm actually just going to burn this fucker down. Um, stand back. Go get what you need. I'm giving you a heads up so you can go get what you need and then fuck off. And basically when she goes to the garrison tower, she finds all of the Shahids and Cassius tied up. And again, this is the question. I'm like, why? Viney, what the fuck? She feels sick around him again. And I'm asking the question, why? Why is this happening? And basically while she's seeing them and she's like trying to get them unbuckled of all these like iron whatever, she sees Ash and Ash is like, that's a problem. I'm going to eat this way, runs. And we find out because they have this whole like action scene where like Cassius gets out, they take on these guards, whatever. And we find out that Cassius is possibly her brother, which now Bryony has specified that it doesn't necessarily mean actual brother. It's, it's just not like means- actual biological. It's no. more like in the, the dark and consider themselves family. Dark and community family. So basically they face off with Remus and Ash and a bunch of guards. Cassius gets taken down because funnily enough, Ash still has that fucking amulet. And Mia basically remembers as she's getting taken down by this brightness, she remembers this quote that was said to her that is the brightest light has the darkest shadows. And then she goes into the shadow, appears behind him and stabs that motherfucker in the neck. And then after that happens, all the Shahids come out. They're all like limping out because the pickpocket, he's got like broken shins and broken Yeah, head. look, he tried to escape and they were like, we can't have that. So his ankles are like, <laughs> yeah, not in a good way. And they look at Ash, they're all standing there. So Mia's like, fuck yeah and then there's all these shahids behind her and then ash is like you know what i've actually got a beast somewhere so i'll see you later Run. i've got a previous commitment <laughs> I've got to go. unfortunately cassius is worse for it we have this moment where mia stumbles to cassius's body and we have this quote he fixed mia in his stare and she felt it in her bones something primordial crushing gravity agonizing chill a terrible endless rage 
something beyond the hunger and sickness she felt when he was near, something close to longing, like lovers parted, like an amputee, like a puzzle searching for a missing piece of itself. Cassius takes his final breath and anoints Mia as a blade of the red church and then he dies. See, that's given me mixed emotions. I'm like, why is this? What why is are this? there lovers in that sentence? Very interesting. And then, so Cassius has a shadow wolf, like how Mia has Mr. Kindly, the cat. And the shadow wolf is mourning and like howling when he dies. So of course Mia's like, you can you can be mine now. So now she has two of them and it's amazing. I want her to have like a zoo by the end of this. You know, throughout the book you have these quotes where it's like her shadow was dark enough for two and now it's dark enough for three. And you're like, and that's basically where the book ends. Mia is anointed blade. But then we have this epilogue where Trick's grandfather is just hanging out in his castle, minding his own business. We didn't actually go into his Trick's, what happened to Trick actually, but (laughs) wasn't nice. So Mia and Trick had made this deal that if either of them died, the other one would would fulfill their vengeance quest because Trick wanted to kill his grandfather who had basically let his mother die and let him be neglected. Mia was like, I obviously have my list. Trix died. Mia's fulfilling her vow, which is very nice of her. And so Trick's grandfather is just chilling out in his castle, minded his own business, when all of a sudden he's not feeling too well. And this woman, this girl, just steps out of a shadow with a shadow cat and a shadow wolf. And he's like, hi, <laughs> I had a promise to keep and you're just kind of on my list. So um, if you see Trick when you die, tell him I miss him. And then Mia ends up going back to the Red Church. And because all of the acolytes, when they die, they get basically put into like nameless graves or nameless tombs or whatever. And she ends up actually getting her knife and carving Trick's name into his, which is just like beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. And then Miss Magic Hands, she gifts Mia the debt for saving her because obviously her and White Walker dude were able to yeet out of that place. And she fixes Maeve's face. And then we find out that the librarian has a book for Mia because in this, Mia's been trying to find a book about Darkens and it's a book called The Hungry Dark. And there's a whole lot in this chapter and I'm like, what the fuck is Mia? What is going on? Who the fuck is Cleo? Why did she eat other shadow bringers? Moral of the story, it's a journal by a crazy bitch called Cleo who was a darken who liked to eat other darkens that she found, a.k.a. The Hungry Dark. I honestly, like, I just didn't understand it because there are, there are mentions throughout this book where Cassius is like, you make, I'm hungry when I'm around you. And I'm like, that, now I'm like, that makes me uncomfortable, sir. Please don't eat me. That's basically where the book leaves. We get this journal. We have the dicta, I want to say Ultima, which is the author has the final note where he says that this book is one of three and offers us a final map, which is referring to a place called where he fell which weirdly enough looks like god's grave and that's where we leave book one so mia is now a fully fledged blade of the church despite not killing innocent children like i said i feel like book one you could be like ah okay i see a path i could happily stop at one but i would like book two yes Definitely. And now 
We do have Taylor Swift again this week. So the first is Daylight by Taylor Swift. My love was as cruel as the cities I lived in. Everyone looked worse in the light. There are so many lines that I've crossed unforgiven. I'll tell you the truth, but never goodbye. Which? Self-explanatory. Self-explanatory really, isn't it? And then Renegade. I tapped on your window on your darkest night. The shape of you was jagged and weak. There was nowhere for me to stay, but I stayed anyway. And if I would have known how many pieces you had crumbled into, I might have let them lay. Jesus. And I'm not sure if that's like in the perspective of maybe one of the shadow people, like Mr. Kindly, Mm. tapping on her window when she was all weak Mm. and there was nowhere for him to stay, but he stayed and then she accepted him. And then we get into um, fan art, which again, with series, I'm trying to keep my fan art limited to the book we're talking about. So in particular, we have Monolime Art. She does a lot of work with Jay Kristoff in general. She's done illustrations in his book called Empire of the Vampire, but she's done some ones of Mia. Then we've also got Gonzalom.art has some more of, I think it's me on the roof with Mr. Kindly in a gold mask. So then there's Nantfi, 1789. Her shit is gothic as fuck. Mm-hmm. All of it is like my emoist phase in life and I love it. Would recommend. And then we've also got Morgana Zero Anagram, which again, is there an episode where I will not mention this woman? Doubtful. No. But she has done the speaker and yeah he is a white walker motherfucker yeah with pink eye with pink eye fishbowl i folded them into more pieces of paper oh good all your perfect oh my god the pain we're gonna go from fucking this fucker to- oh georgia you're gonna kill me two weeks of absolute fucking tears and yeah. then I'm, I'm going to need dick after that, guys. I'm really sorry, but I'm going to need smut and oil in places right. that we shouldn't go. What if? So next we're doing A Thousand Boy Kisses, which we pulled out of the fishbowl last week. After that, we're doing All Your Perfects, Colleen Hoover. After that, I have heard that our, our queen, Sierra Simone, who has done Priest, has done another book. It might be problematic. She has Trey. Trey in the series. So she has Priest, Sinner, and Saint. Sinner was my least favourite. <laughs> it was a little bit, it gave me weird vibes to begin with. Obviously all, con- all over age of 18, but the age gap with the girl in the first instance of their sexual interaction gave me very uncomfortable vibes. So might not be, it's going to be one that maybe we won't really necessarily like story-wise, but we'll definitely like smut-wise. Again, oil in places where oil should not be. I'm fine with it. If you follow my TikTok, you know. We're going to try to maybe do like dribble in like a smutty book every like, you know, five or so episodes each. You know, yeah. we'll just dribble it in there because I love it. Definitely you guys love it too. And also we are seeing out in the universe in the book talk community that everyone loves a palate cleanser. So we're here to give that to you, honey. In the meantime, what you can do if you want to keep up with our antics, we have Instagram where you can follow our weird-ass shit. We have TikTok. We have our podcast TikTok. We also have our individual TikToks, which are slightly more chaotic. So if that's the energy you're vibing with, would recommend. You can find us on Instagram, on TikTok. You can also listen to our podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And watch the videos of this on YouTube. Like, follow, subscribe, rate. That's what the fellow youth 
say let us know how we're going if you've got any book recommendations send them through we want to read what you are reading because yes. we're probably also reading it and we'd love to talk all right <laughs> we need to go, y'all. let's end this bye bye, bye.